Just don't throw anything at it because I love the suit and tie. But I'll answer anything, I'll talk about anything, and I want to keep it real because I'm going to tell you right now, uh, the country's in a lot of trouble. You're not stupid. You know that it's in a lot of trouble, and it's going to be you guys, the men and women in this room, the men and women like you around this country that are going to fix these problems. Unfortunately, your parents, my generation, the baby boomer generation starting from 1946 to 1964, which I'm in 1964, so I'm a baby boomer, we failed the country. And they said how we failed the country, uh, we overspent, we overpromised, uh, and we delivered an inferior style of government where our infrastructure is crumbling, our education system is uneven, we're prosecuting wars in parts of the world that we really shouldn't be prosecuting wars, but we're there, and now we're there, now we're gonna have to stay there. I can explain that, so I'm gonna ask you why. Uh, but you racked up $20 trillion of debt, uh, the last generation before us created the mantle of leadership and opportunity for everybody. And it's the main reason why everybody wants to come to this country. The current generation of politicians, uh, I'm here to invite both parties. I'm not here just to talk about one party. I think the establishment has actually failed the country. Uh, Steve Bannon and I used to be friends. We're not really friends anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
We've got to call balls and strikes the way we see them. And we've got to focus on what is right or wrong as opposed to what is left or right. Does everybody get that? Okay, I'm actually a social progressive. Okay? I'm probably further to the left than most of the Democrats in this room. Uh, I've been a champion of marriage equality for 15 years. I gave money to four Republican senators in the state of New York to make gay marriage an equal right in the state of New York. And I'm going to tell you something. Sort of a bad part of the story. Those four senators said, We're going to lose this election. And the guys that raised the money said, No, no, you guys are not going to lose the election. Sure enough, all four of them lost the election. <laughs> but they were on the right side of history, ladies and gentlemen, as it relates to the frontier of human rights and treating each other equal. Right? It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's not just for straight people, okay? it's for everybody. right? That's the goal. That's our American experiment. So if you're a Republican in the room, I submit to you, you guys want a smaller government. You want a smaller government everywhere except in my bedroom. You want a larger government in my bedroom. That's a joke. Well. <laughs> so, so I'm about trying to do the right thing as opposed to the left or right thing. So that's going to get me in trouble in Washington, right? Because I can't fit in anybody's box, right? I'm right-leaning on economics. I believe in market forces, but I believe in regulated market forces. Uh, if you look at capitalism, you study the other systems. Capitalism is the system that has brought more people out of poverty than any other system in civilization. You realize that? We're marching forward to human progress because each and every one of you, with your individual spirit, your individual energy, your individual drive to create something out of nothing, Turned into a colossus that benefits panic. Right? When the guys in Silicon Valley say they want to dent the universe and they want to affect a billion plus people with their ideas. Right? And you guys are going to be able to do that because of a free market system. I'm going to tell you something axiomatic. Thank you. Alright. I'm going to tell you something axiomatic about life. How many of you guys are below the age of 25? Raise your hand. So I'm, I have 29 years of experience being 25. <laughs> I still think like I'm 25, I'm 54. but I'm 54. And in those 29 years since I left being 25, I learned one thing that you should take for granted. Okay? And I'm going to say it to you, and hopefully you'll get it and you'll learn from my experience, as opposed to you having to learn it on your own. There's no chance, ladies and gentlemen, for equal outcomes. You got that? There's no chance. I don't care what the political system is, I don't care if you believe in socialism, communism, autocracy, dictatorship, free market capitalism. I'm telling you right now, my 54 years on the earth, there are no chances for equal outcomes. You want to go to Cuba, live in communism, there's a group of people at the top. You're cycling off the top, there's a black market, that's crazy. You want to live in Soviet Russia? There's a group of people at the top. They've figured it out. The other people are not figuring it out. The only way you can deepen and widen the opportunity is through free market capitalism. So I'm right-leaning on the free market capitalism. I'm right-leaning on the empowerment. However, a couple things your government does need to do for you. Number one is we've got to even the playing field as it relates to the public education. How many people in this room went to a public school before they came to the University of Chicago? Okay. And 
how many how many of you people okay felt great about that public school? Raise your hand if you felt great about it. Now the chances are, if you told me your zip codes, my guess is most of you are in pretty good communities. You know, Condoleezza Rice, if she was standing here at this podium, she would tell you she would tell you, tell me the zip code of the child, and I can tell you the quality of your public school education, the K twelve public school. That's something government can fix. The government can fix your infrastructure. The government can create a public good in the society as it relates to science, as it relates to technology. Okay, but what it can't do is create an equal outcome. I'll say one more thing, and then I'm going to tell you a funny story about the White House. I'm not going to ask, answer any question. This is another thing you should really know about your lives. Okay, you ready? Ready? Number one, life is unfair. Everybody got that? It's completely and totally unfair. Did you pick your parents? Raise your hand if you picked your parents. I mean, you guys are positive. I didn't pick my parents. If you were reincarnated, you picked your parents. <laughs> <laughs> no. Did you pick them? Did you pick the location of your birth? Pick your siblings? I didn't pick any of them. Maybe you guys did, but life definitionally is unfair. Okay, but you're sitting in this room at the University of I don't care what your skin color is, your sexual orientation, your religion, you've won the lottery. You got that? Because we're all here together. We're going to eat tonight. It's snowing outside. Every single person here has a place to sleep. Okay, you got people that love you, and you're in a society that wants to see you do well. You've won the lottery. So if you're sitting around whining, okay, I got five kids, believe me, I know you guys. <laughs> sitting around whining, remember that about your life, okay? It is unfair that you won the lot. Number two, absolutely, you can take this to the bed. Life is unsafe. You got that? It just happens to be unsafe. There are antigens, there are bacteria, there are viruses, there are plane crashes, there are car crashes, unfortunately now there are terrorist attacks. But life is unsafe. Only so much your government can do to make it safer, but you don't want to be completely safe. Once you're completely safe, you have no growth. You need to overregulate the banks after the financial crisis. They won't lend any money. You can't get the animal spirits going in the economy, and people can't find jobs, and then the wages stagnate. You don't want to be totally safe, and you're not really living. The okay, third thing, I like to curse a lot. Do you guys know that? <laughs> you know, look, what do you do? I grew up in a neighborhood. I grew up in a blue-collar Italian neighborhood. You don't think you curse? Raise your hand in this room if you've never said a curse word. Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, look at that. Look at that. Okay, raise your hands if you said a curse word. Come on. Government ought not to be spending the way it's spending. It ought not to be 
cents for every dollar that is spent. Okay, the word ought is going to get you in so much trouble in your life, you have absolutely no idea, because the other word, cousin to the other word ought, is should. Like that word? It should be this way. It should work that way. The Arabs should get along with the Israelis. The Israelis should get along with the Arabs. It doesn't work that way. Okay, so when you're in the search for your normative society, maybe your professors believe in a normative society, but I have lived in the real world. I do not believe in a normative society. I believe in a realistic society. You can make society better if we're honest with each other and we identify the problems and then we take the problems in a clinical way, less partisan agenda. It's going to be your generation, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to be the post-partisan generation that's going to change the world, that's going to make the world better, to be less focused on nonsense and cable news and nattering, and more focused on substance. Okay, I make that prediction. Okay, I know you're super smart. I couldn't get into the school of my life. I know what you guys are capable of. Okay, so one quick story. Everybody on time. I gotta tell the story. I don't really tell the story that often. I gotta tell the story, okay? Because I was at the Republic. I didn't tell this in Columbia, by the way, so this is new material. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell it the other day, and I was like, well, I'm gonna tell the story of the University of Chicago. So I'm on the plane, Air Force One. And look, I was only in the White House for 11 days, but I had three trips on Air Force One. It's not so bad, right? So, <laughs> Shot of cortisone from my voice box. 
and he gave me a shot. He says, look, I gave you enough penicillin to kill a horse. I think you got a stretch throat, uh, but you'll be okay by tomorrow morning. Okay? And why am I telling you guys this story? I'm telling you the story of traveling on the most famous plane in the world, working for arguably the most powerful person in the world, but I'm human. I'm a human being, and I'm not feeling well. Okay, and I'm there vulnerable with my hands down. <laughs> okay, and we have to start dealing with each other like we're human beings. We have to start dealing with each other like we're all part of the human story and that we're all children of humanity. And we start to do that, and we can start to break down our differences, whether they're ideological, tribal, ethnic, religious, sexual, it doesn't matter. We can break it down. You've got to see the other people in the debate, in the argument, as the human beings that they are. Okay? Now let me tell you what they do in Washington, and then I'll take questions. They don't like you, or they want to silence your voice. They've got to two-dimensionalize you. Right? They've got to characterize you. They've got to force you into a style box that makes other people not want to listen to you. They've got to discredit you. Now, one of the things I don't like is I'm Italian-American. They always go with the Italian stereotypes, right? Tony Goomba takes over the press conference. I'm a walking pinky grin. Seth Meyers told me that. That's funny. Jim Tan Laundry, the situation, the sense on the white after. I went to Harvard Law School, but they're, they're categorizing me with the Jersey short cast. Right? Now, why are they doing it? They have to do that because I lose my voice. I've got to lose my voice. Because if I lose my voice, you don't take me seriously or they characterize me in a way that's hurtful, then you're not going to listen to what I have to say. This is the number one thing you're, you learn in law school in trial advocacy. Okay? If you're wrong on the facts and you still got to win the case, attack the other person. Ad hominem attack. Okay? By the way, that's an age old thing. They've been doing it in Washington forever. Secretary Clinton, they did it to each other, and they will continue to do it to each other. But you got to see through it. You got to see through it. And you got to observe the facts. All right. So I'll talk about anything. I'll talk about the game last week. I'll talk about the Fed.
further, not moving in the opposite direction. Uh, given these facts, do you think that potentially both major parties in this country could potentially balkanize and we start seeing a multi-party system closer to Europe? And then past that, uh, it sounds like you still have an idealistic vision towards the future, but should this polarization continue to even increase? And if you look at maps of how different places in the country vote, years, way more polarity politically in the society. It seems like people are voting in regional blocks, coastal versus inside the country. There's a balkanization that is taking place in the country. Could that lead to an eventual splinter? And even though I'm optimistic and I'm talking with a lot of idealism about it, is that roughly the question? Yes. Okay, so let me answer the question. It's a really good question. Um, and so the answer, unfortunately, is it depends because none of us really know the answer, I can just make the following predictions. So what ended up happening in society is uh, we each picked up something pretty interesting, right? This thing that I'm carrying in my hand has more computational computing power than Cape Canaveral in 1969 and Houston. Houston Control, when we landed Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin on the moon. This phone, you're experiencing a miniaturization in our society, right? If I said to you guys rhetorically, I can give you the University of Chicago Library or the Library of Congress, okay, and I give you a research assignment or I give you this phone, what do you want? Right, you know you want the phone. Okay, so the whole world has seismically changed. And so what happened with this phone and the introduction of the tablet, the iPad, it caused the destruction of mainstream media as we currently, excuse me, as it used to be, it's now different as we currently know it. What happened? Segmentation. What we happened is confirmed biases of channel sort. If you're a Republican, you're watching Fox. If you're a Democrat, you're watching MSNBC. If you're intellectually current curious, you'll watch both. You're usually leaning towards confirmed biases inside the confirmed bias tunnel. Something happened in the late 1880s called Jerry Manning. You know what that is? Just quickly, what is Jerry Manning? and he rigged the state district, and it looked like a salamander. So his opponent turned to him and said, this looks like a salamander. You've done something dishonest. It's a gerrymander. But the court said it was okay because he had control over the district. That's why the census is so important. And so what ended up happening is we started gerrymandering the entire country. Uh, when I was growing up, I was eight, nine, 10 years old, your congressional districts look like a geometric shape that each of you would recognize from your ninth grade or eighth grade geometry. Today, it looks like a jagged edge jigsaw puzzle, and that is creating more balkanization, sir. It is creating more of those confirmed biases, okay? And it's also created the perpetuation of these lunatics in the swamp that sit in the swamp like swamp creatures forever, okay? And then, by the way, here's the thing that they don't have to do, ready? If I'm in a Republican district in the reddest of red states, I can talk in the reddest of red ways to the reddest of red people, and I can stay in power. Same thing on the other side, if I'm in the bluest of blue states. See what's happening? 
So there's only one way, in my opinion, to fix it. Okay. You have to do what the Australians have done. You have to create universal voting and mandatory voting. You create universal voting and mandatory voting, you force out all the apathy in the system, and then the product has to change. Because here's what I know about consumers, and I know about consumer product companies. They try to create a product that every single one of them will like, whether it's Starbucks or Coca-Cola or et cetera, but it's the same thing in your politics. So right now, your politicians are creating a product that is packaged for a certain group of people that they're going to take off the shelf in their area. But if you created universal voting, now you've widened the bandwidth of the population and brought everybody into the system. They have to start moderating their views. Otherwise, they can't win the election. Now, these politicians will likely not vote that in because that will be the end of all of them. They don't like that, right? You know that. That's why they won't ever vote in term limits. So I don't know the answer to your question. There's a risk of what you're saying. But I think the more likely outcome is that your generation, I really do believe this, my generation game over, we actually suck as a group of political establishment. And we suck on both sides. It's not just the Republicans. If you're a Democrat, you think it's just the Republicans. Trust me, you guys suck too. <laughs> so they both suck. So what you have to do, you guys are going to have to see it for what it really is. You're going to have to flush out and go to best practices. The Australians have the best practice. If that happens, and I predict that that can happen in the next 15 years, your risk of organization won't happen. But it is a risk. It is out there. Okay, let me take, I'll try to get as many questions as I can. You finally got a question? Yeah. All right, what's the question? Who's getting, I'll get to you. Who's getting fired next? <laughs> Like an apprentice, right? <laughs> 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 Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about getting fired. Anybody been fired yet? Let me tell you something. It's a rough experience. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, how do we fire and have your name plastered on 45 of the largest international newspapers in the world? Or be on the national news for five days? Okay. It's rough. Okay. Let me tell you something, okay? You should get this from me. When you fire, as rough as it is, okay, you're living a great life. Okay? And so for me, I tell people it's the 12th day that matters. It's not the first day. <laughs> Right? 
I've seen people, you know, I live in a rough neighborhood. I've seen people drive, I've had a drug I've seen domestic violence. I've seen rough situations in my life. But I haven't seen anything as rough as a Higgins boat door opening and machine gun fire entering into the Higgins boat from a German pillbox at the age of 18 or 19, like my uncle Anthony. I didn't see anything like that. Put it in perspective, dust yourself off, get back in the game, right? I don't know who's going to get fired next. I honestly don't know, but I'll tell you why. I probably shouldn't say this in a public setting, but I'll tell you why. General Kelly knew about the situation with Rob Porter. General Kelly knew. I would recommend to General Kelly get to a podium like this and say, you know, I knew. I didn't handle it right. I'm sorry. And uh, I got to do better. I got to put better processes in. If he didn't know, Okay, then he's got to get the podium to say that. Because the next two weeks are going to be on whether he knew or he didn't know, and that's not, that's not good leadership. Good leadership is being accountable. Good leadership is representing yourself and what you are. And good leadership is, is, is not covering the things. Cover up so much more okay, You'll learn that from presidential history. So, so that will be the conversation over the next couple of weeks. You have questions? Yeah. How do you think the How did I come up with the concept of Skybridge Capital and the salt cars? Okay, so I'm going to give a short answer to that, but it's uh, I have no idea. That is absolutely true. So what is happening is I started Skybridge to be a hedge fund incubator, and then we went into the buzzsaw of the 2008 crisis. And since you guys are in your mid 20s, you were starting your teens when we went through that crisis. Okay, that was a death spiral for Skybridge. I thought Skybridge was going to be no bridge. I was joking about it like it was going to be blown up bridge. It was really urgent. And so what I did was I had to adapt our business. I bought a business from Citibank. I went into the conference business because I actually thought I needed to develop a marketing strategy for that crop. So that's how I ended up with the salt comp. So all of this stuff was accidental. I'm not one of these guys that revises history and tries to pretend that I'm brilliant or something like that. It's accidental. It's a combination of force, persistence, luck, and work. That's how you make your business life go. But here's the thing I would tell you, a lot of your life is accidental because I, I didn't go on television until I was 46 years old. First time I was on TV was to market the salt conference. And I'm accidentally in the political system because uh, President Trump, who was at a friend of mine, a business person, I didn't even take him seriously. Okay, that's why I was with Bush and, and Walker, but I didn't think he was running. Uh, when he ended up running, I accidentally got sucked into the system because all of my establishment Republican friends left the system. So that's why I ended up in the position. So a lot of this stuff is accidental. That's the truth. Question over here, I'll try to get there. Yes. Um, all right, so um, what do you think? Um, great. Go back a minute, just forgot my question. Well, that happens to me. Thank you very much. Um, before you were talking about um, how, um, would you remember the question you raised in the You discussed um, how the, the Dodd Frank Act and how banks weren't able to lend with the um, this. Um, President Trump, he talked about um, introducing Glass Steagall and other sorts yep. of financial regulations. What do you think of that? Okay, so I talked about Dodd Frank and how the banks are overregulated, it makes it harder for there's a class people legislation stating back now to after the Great Depression, two senators got together and they basically said they're going to separate commercial banking from investment banking. 
President Trump has taken the position that the combination of those two things, which took place roughly in the year 2000, where we eliminated Glass-Steagall, led to the crisis because these banks, the risk-taking part of the bank plus the commercial bank got together and elevated the risk in the system. So now part of the Republican platform was to put Glass-Steagall back in as a regulatory mechanism. And so I'm ambivalent about that, meaning I'm not sure what to do on that. I have to do more work on it. And the reason I'm ambivalent about it is that the international banking community has dropped Glass-Steagall. And if the United States goes back to Glass-Steagall, there could be a risk that we'll lose our competitiveness in the global banking system. Um, but I do think it would have the effect of lowering the risk in the banking system. I'm just not sure if that's something we want to remember. But we can make the world safer, but we don't want to make it overly safe. Remember your question? Yeah. Okay. Right. So, a few months ago, you announced, I don't
what do we do with those people? Stage one, we'll create a path to citizenship through DACA drivers. And then the next situation is we have to handle the people that um, are here to be There were also a group of people that say, you know, you've got ice ages, you've had hot 
periods and cold periods, you get different degrees of solar activity over the four and a half million years that has affected the Earth's climate. So the smartest people that I know on this topic, and I'm certainly not one of the smartest people, but one of the smartest people I know on the topic would say to you that it's probably 70% human created and maybe 30-ish percent solar activity, flares, sunspots, whatever it might be. So that's my view of the situation. So now you have to have a political response to the situation. We talked about that. But I don't want to talk about that right now. I want to talk about something very different. But I want to explain to you how I want you to argue it, if you so choose, and how I would like to argue it. Okay? Forget whether it's the climate. You want to win this thing? Talk about what it's doing to people's health. Carbon emission has been horrifically destructive to people's health. If you're from mainland China, you know that some of these great industrial cities that are growing super fast, it's almost impossible for young children to breathe in these cities. They've got asthma. If you're here in, uh, in the industrial Midwest, okay, a lot of these great lakes for many, many years have polluted until, believe it or not, the Republican president, Richard Nixon, put the EPA in started cleaning up the lakes. So for me, I would rather argue this thing on health, public policy, and public health. The other thing I would say to this generation, you gotta be very careful about your righteousness and sanctimony as it relates to past generations. So we've got Washington and Lee University speaking. That's George Washington and Robert E. Lee. The two cats were behind them. He's been dead white person portraits. <laughs> Somebody said, well, should we take all these statues down? You know, there were slaveholders and blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, listen to me. So obviously, from the prism of our world today, that is a horrific thing. A horrific thing. But now we're judging them with our moral perspective from today. Okay, unfortunately, you guys are not going to like me saying this. I'm sure I'll get a riff for this tomorrow somewhere. But there's been history of subjugation in societies throughout history, thank God we're past that. Thank God, talk about life being unfair and us being on the right side of the lottery, we're moving towards better progress, more equality, more progression of human rights. But here's the thing, ready? You have a car, sir? Me? Car? Yes. No. Do you fly in an airplane? Do you fly in an airplane? Yes. Do you fly in an airplane? Okay, so... You, me, collectively, this whole room, we're burning up the earth. Okay, I'm telling you right now, from 1830 to 2130, 300 years, there's somebody in 2430 that's going to look back on you and look back on me and say, oh my God, these people are horrible people. They're as horrible as Robert E. Lee and George Washington because they didn't care about the earth. They ripped up the Earth's environment, burning fossil fuels, and they dis almost destroyed the Earth. Because what's going to happen by 2430, you're going to be in an environment where you're going to have non-carbon emission energy, for sure. It'll probably happen sooner. Okay, and the Earth will get a lot cleaner. So what I'm saying to you is let's argue the thing. We can talk about global warming or not global warming and people get entrenched. Let's argue it on global health. We'll win that argument if we argue about global health. I don't know if I answered that That's my view. Yes, sir. So, so publicly, obviously, that uh, the relationship of two presidential chiefs of staff in this administration, right, 
Google, they both name my guts. So, I don't know who you're going to put up against him, but he 
he's a formidable guy, I would not underestimate. There's another thing I would say to my friends in the Democratic Party. Uh, I would probably let these people fight fairly. Now, Rice Priebus and I used to like each other, we don't like each other anymore, trust me. Inclusive. 
and I'm fiscally responsible. Now, why am I saying that? Because we spent billions of dollars on the word liberal to get half the people in the country to hate the word liberal. So when I say I'm socially liberal, half the company, half the country seems that. If I say I'm fiscally conservative, we spent billions of dollars on that word to get half the country to hate that word. We've got to change the words. Okay, because people are dialed into these little blocks of thinking and their blocks of labeling. I'm socially inclusive and I'm fiscally responsible. I love the Libertarian Party. This gentleman here asked about the balkanization and entrance of new parties. I didn't really address it, but I'll address it now. The Libertarian Party has no shot. Okay, and nor does the Communist Party or any of the parties. Let me tell you what these SOBs did. Okay, they created a moat around their system and then built a gigantic wall, way bigger than the Mexican wall, and they made you pay for the wall. Okay, what they did was they locked themselves into a duopoly. So right now, if I want to run as an independent, I was really that stupid, thank God I'm not. So let's say I did, I got no shot. I gotta get hundreds of thousands of petition votes. I gotta do all of these shenanigans, and they created a barrier to entry that is nearly impossible. There was a billionaire by the name of Ross Perot, well before you were born, that came into the 1992 race. He spent a gajillion dollars, and he won 20% of the vote, and he had no shot. So nobody has a shot. But by nature, I do like libertarianism. I don't think that it's the right answer for everything because I'm also a practical person that knows that there's a role for government as it relates to national security, law enforcement, roads and bridges, infrastructure, and public good. I'm not an anti-government person. Okay? I'm an anti-swamp person. I'm an anti-Washington person. Okay? I said this and I meant it that imagine the worst person you've had in your life, that's the best person in Washington. <laughs> <laughs> And they got they got to go if you're going to make the system. <coughs> okay, I'm trying to get there. I'm going to go a little back. I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to get there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Way in back. That's what they do to your face. 
then they stab you in the back, and they leak information on you, and they do all kinds of terrible things to you, right? I'm not about that, I don't like it. I'd rather just talk to you directly. Okay, so once those four guys got fired, the leaks went down substantially. But whether you like it or not, leaks are going to happen in every administration. They've happened in George Washington's administration. But the leaks that were happening in the White House the first six months were terrible. They were internecine leaks. They were totally unnecessary. Okay, people were trying to break up. You said you got Steve Bannon coming, right? Just ask Steve Bannon, raise your hand, somebody in here say, why are you trying to divide the White House between globalists and nationalists? We had Anthony Scaramucci here. Why were you leaking on the, on the globals? Why were you doing that? And watch him lie in the face and say that he wasn't doing it. But he was here. So I don't like the leaking, okay? I tried to stop the leaking. And I was working on it. And the one funny thing about my firing is it didn't leak. <laughs> because they were all scared out of their minds. Because I got there, I was blowing some people out. And these guys said, okay, we better not leave. I got fired at 9.37 in the morning. And nobody heard about it until 2 o'clock when Sarah Huckabee announced it. See that? So it, it could stop, but you've got to put the right culture in place to make it happen. I'll try to get to everybody. Go ahead, and I'm going to go back here and into your place. All right, so what does the Republican Party look like after Trump, and you think that it's going to be the right or wrong direction? Really good question. What does the Republican Party look like after Trump, and are we moving in the right or wrong direction? We're actually moving in the right direction the swamp has to be disbanded. Okay, and what these guys are all worried about, the establishment Republicans and the establishment Democrats, it's not just Trump, it's Jeff Bezos. It's Bob Iger. It's you pick the left-leaning billionaire or the right-leaning billionaire that can enter their airspace, not care about their lobbying, hurry in favor, special interest nonsense. Okay, that has to be dismantled. You want a better society, you want a better future, you want to tackle the environment, you want to come up with the right tax policy, the right national security policy. You guys, guys, I'm sorry. It doesn't work the way you guys are working on it. You have failed a generation of Americans. Please leave. Please get out of the way. And so it's going in the right direction. Because whether you like Trump or hate Trump, history will judge Trump as a barbarian at the gate, knocked the gate down, and brought new entrance and new blood into the situation. And they're trying to kill him on both sides because they want to send a message to dudes, men and women, don't come here. This is our playground, this is our territory, and we'll eviscerate you because we're way more ruthless than you. We're politicians. Like, I want you to imagine the Game of Thrones. Everybody see that? How about the Hunger Games? You know that show? I want you to imagine the screenwriters of Game of Thrones, the Hunger Games, and the House of Cards. They get together <laughs> in Washington, D.C. That's your nation's capital. You got that? Okay, so as bad as you think it is, it's actually worse. <laughs> so we gotta make it better. So it's going in the right direction. I don't know what will happen to the Republican Party, but the Republican Party's smart. They'll move more quickly than the Democrats into a post-partisan situation, because most millennials really want a post-partisan situation. Okay, so I'm gonna take this woman's question in the back of the glasses. Yeah. Then I'll take I was wondering what your take was um, on cryptocurrency and then also <laughs> 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 the stance on it. Like, what your opinion is? Okay. Okay, so I have to fully disclose this. I'm the founder of something called Ledger X, which is the first uh, cryptocurrency.
exchange that's actually gotten a license from the federal government to trade these currencies. So, um, you know, I have a millennial son, I've got a couple of, I've got five children, I've got a 25 year old son uh, who's fascinated by these cryptocurrencies. I'm more skeptical of them because unfortunately it's outside of my generation's knowledge bank. But the way I decided to play the cryptocurrencies for me as an investor was to own the toll bridge that where the trades are going. Right? So I'll get a piece of every trade as opposed to be focused on any one of those currencies. I'm not in Jamie Dimon's camp, the CEO of JP Morgan, that says it's a hoax and a fraud and it's going to die a exasperating death. It may happen. I'm not saying that you can take that possibility out of the equation entirely. Excuse me, but I do think one or two of these cryptocurrencies would be a tradable standard of goods and services in our society. So I just don't know which ones. Um, if I was standing here and you were in the class of 1999, uh, you would say there's four million internet booksellers. There's four million mail order book company, uh, computer companies like Dell. Okay, which one is going to be the survivor? And I would have said to you, there will be a survivor. There will be a retail online website now known as Amazon that you know is the Colossus. I just don't know which one. So I'm bullish on it, but I'm more speculative and uncertain about who actually becomes the leader. Okay, one last question. One more question. I'll take your question. And I'm sorry, didn't get to everyone. So we're going to take this question then. Millennials, I'll take a group selfie of us, and then we're going to have a photo line, and then... And I'll answer questions in the photo line. Yeah. I'll okay. answer any questions. I will answer any questions. Yes, sir. So you talked about how you base your policy on right and wrong at the beginning of the talk. Uh, so to what extent do you think that there are complicated issues that don't boil down to right and wrong, and policy might not best be... Yeah, yeah. So uh, like abortion is one of those. Okay, so the it's a really good question. So question is, you're talking about getting policies right or wrong, but there's probably a lot of policies out there that don't fit into the category of right or wrong, they're actually too complicated, right? Is that more or less what you're saying? Okay, so I actually think that gun control and abortion actually fit in those two categories. I'll use those two as examples, but I bet you and I can come up with many examples, but let me be brief. On gun control, it's, it's a weird thing. It doesn't seem to be working. Right? If you've got heavy gun control in Illinois, and you have a high murder rate in South Chicago, you say, so what's going on there, right? On the flip side, if you live in North Dakota, and you're in a wide open plain area, you probably want to be able to use your gun and have less regulation, right? So this is the beauty of the United States. And, and if you really read the Federalist Papers, the concept of federalism is that the 50 states are actually a laboratory, and let's figure it out through the process of that laboratory what seems to be the right thing. But what I'm telling you is that certain things, one size does not fit all. Okay, and again, if you ask me my opinion about gun control, I'll give it. In urban centers, I think you need more of it. And in places like North Dakota or wide open plains in Texas, I think you need less of it. I don't think you get a uniform standard. That's just my opinion. On the abortion issue, uh, you know, that's a religious issue. You know, there's the people that believe that life starts at conception. Um, we can debate it. I've read the Supreme Court cases. I can tell you as a Roman Catholic, I still practice my faith. So if you ask me personally, I'm pro-life. But if you ask me as a matter of public policy, 
because of the way the Constitution is set up and the Supreme Court, I'm accepting of the pro-choice decision and a woman's right to choose. But if you ask me, me, like if my daughter got pregnant, I say, okay, I'm perfectly happy to raise the kid. You don't have to get an abortion. There's no shame. I don't, you know, you don't have to do that. But if she decided to do that, it's her life. And at the end of the day, if you really understand the document, the reason why this is such an amazing country to live in, there should be a separation of church and state in the document, right? And so as a result of which, you know, that will be debated. There's really no right or wrong, honestly. I mean, I think, you know, pro-life, you may think pro-choice. If you ask me as a public policy, you think I'm not elected, you know, but I would say pro-choice. You see what I mean? So yes, you're making a very good point. We should probably end on that note that the world is very complicated. I'm not trying to oversimplify it for you, but I want you to rethink the way we're going about the problems. I want you to think about the positional nature that we're all taking against each other and how we lose our humanity when we start our argument. You see what I'm saying? Okay, leave it on one really bright note. You guys are entering the age of immunotherapy. The age of chemotherapy is dying, thank God. Because if you've ever had a family member that's had chemotherapy, you know that's been a good thing. We're now entering the age of immunotherapy, so the drugs are going to get cheaper, they're going to get more affordable, less side effects, and more efficacious. And you guys are going to live to be over 100 years old, so you better figure this out. Thank you, ladies.